Okay, we're in the middle of this series on doctrine. And we started with uh, really looking at these different attributes of who God is, which is pretty cool because our kindergartners and first graders also learn these attributes even right now. My wife's teaching that class. She's here this morning. Uh, they are being taught by somebody else. Don't worry. They're not uh, running solo in there. Um, this uh, quote from A.W. Tozer has kind of been our kind of guiding principle through this entire series. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about God, and you can go a bit further, what we know about God, right, is the most important thing about us. We live in a world full of information, right? Information overload. And too many times what we don't have is a full picture of who God is. Psalm 119 says this, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I will meditate on your precepts. So when I was praying about uh, starting this class a few months ago, I thought, what does our church need? What do we need as a people? We, we need a really a, a better picture of who God is so that we can meditate on those things. So we're not just worshiping out of some kind of almost false God. We're worshiping a true God as we worship God. So the past two weeks, we looked at these attributes of God. We looked at how, how God is real. God is real. It's so easy uh, in a world today to forget that God is real. But he's not just real. God is knowable. This is the beauty of the Christian God, that our God is not some just far-off God, but he's a God who came near through Christ, and our God is knowable. God is creator. I was driving up to the office this morning, and the sun was rising, and the, and the sky was this beautiful colors of pink and purple and blue. And I literally uh, drove around my office the block like three times because I didn't want to leave uh, this beautiful picture of creation. That God, Our God is creator. And when we look at uh, great works of art, right, and we're amazed and we're moved by those things, they're a shadow of who our God is, which is the great creator. Our God is self-sufficient. Hear this. Our God does not need us. And that is good news for us. Like, I need lots of things. But our God does not need us. He didn't create us because he was lonely. God created us out of his love for us. God is unchangeable. I have never lived in, in, in my entire life where I can remember things being so changing. Things are always changing, aren't they? But the good news for us, our God is steadfast. Our God does not change. He is unchangeable. Our God is eternal. Scripture says our life is like a breath, a mist. But our God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. And that brings us great hope. Because if we truly believe and know that God is eternal, then the freakouts and the worries and the anxieties of this breath of life is not so overwhelming because our God is eternal. Our God is omnipresent. We are never alone. There is nowhere that our God is not. Our God is spirit. Our God is invisible. I said this last time, my oldest son does not get this. So I can't see God, Dad. Okay, well, you can't see God. God is invisible. God is everywhere, which means even when we're alone, we're not truly alone if we know God. God
God is omniscient. I spent some time last week talking about this. Um, I love a good plan. I, I love planning things. Tracy knows this. She's looking at me right now with an irritated look in her eye. Um, I, just, I like to have a plan and see it kind of happen. The mind of God, we can't understand it all. It is so much greater and bigger and smarter than ours is. This is Romans 8, right? It says he works all things together for the good of those who love him. He works all things together. I will never be able to comprehend that, right? Because our God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. But our God is wise. Our God is wise. He knows what to do and how to do it and when to do it. And last, we can trust God because our God is truthful. God is truth. What comes from him, we know, will come to fruition. So these are what we studied so far. Today we're going to look at seven more to kind of wrap up this series on the attributes of God. And next week we look at a very light topic called the Trinity. And so, um, which should be lots of fun. Um, so our first uh, point today is that God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. This is 18.14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah 32.17. Nothing is too hard for you. Our God is all-powerful. Our God is all-powerful. So he, he, we're going to see here he has a sovereign plan. We're going to see all this. But there's not just a plan. He can accomplish his will, Right? This is the whole New Year's resolution thing, right? Where you set out to have this sovereign plan for your life, right? But you're not all powerful. Most times we're all inconsistent. There are no limits on what he decides to do. He is able. Paul tells us he can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or we think. Jesus says himself, with God, all things are possible. His power is is infinite and we love power in this world don't we don't we love power we admire power we admire uh, politics we admire celebrity we admire people who have money think of jeff bezos think of all these things we think of power right there is something we think of power that we are in awe of our god is all powerful and the greatest richest most powerful person in the world is nothing compared to our God. But there are some things God cannot do. He can neither will nor do anything that denies his own character. For example, Titus 1-2 says he cannot lie. He cannot lie. He cannot be tempted with evil, it says in James. And he cannot deny himself, 2 Timothy says. Therefore, God's use of infinite power is qualified by his other attributes. But listen, when we model God by using our limited power, our limited resource to do good works in his name, we're a small reflection of his infinite power. A small reflection of his infinite power. And when we reflect this power as we love and serve and do good to others, we reflect the great power of God says we're created before before the world for, for good works. When we do those good works, we reflect God's glory. But there's an elephant in the room on, on God's power. 
And it goes with God's authority. Let's be honest. We do not like to submit, do we? We don't. I don't. I do not like to submit. Um, but our God is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. And the enemy distracts, deceives to have us submit to lesser things, to this illusion of freedom. When we submit to the great authority of our all-powerful Father, we find joy, we find peace, we find those things. So God is omnipotent, but God is also sovereign. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. God's will and his sovereignty are the ultimate reasons for everything that happens. Everything is under his control. It, it is the way God approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for the existence of and activity of himself and all his creation. This is why God being omnipotent and being sovereign go together a deep level. Example, Revelation 4 says, all things were created by God's will. Human governments have their power according to God's will. Romans 13.1 And sometimes it is God's will, this is where it's hard, that his children suffer. We see that in 1 Peter 3.17. All the events of our life are subject to God's will. This is why James encourages us to not say, we will do this or we will do that, but if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I'll never forget, 2020, over 2019, 2020, of course, was the pandemic started and all that kind of stuff. Me and Tracy, we have three uh, young kids, most of y'all know that, and we planned about four trips within like a, an 18-month span. And every time there was some kind of trip, there was a kid being sick, us being sick, Someone got COVID. Someone, uh, there was a, a, a blizzard in Louisiana. Um, there was all these things on there. For, it, was that, it was last February. Well, no, this February. It's like, what, six months ago. We're like, okay, we're going to go to Dallas for two days. You remember this, Tracy. And uh, we start seeing the forecast. Uh, like, oh, it's going to snow. They always say it's going to snow, right? And I was in staff meeting and talking about the plans. Like, well, guys, I'm not going to be here on Sunday because I am going on this trip no matter what. And Luke just looked at me, and he said, dude, you don't want to say that. Uh, and sure enough, there was a, what, a foot of snow in Louisiana, six inches, something crazy, and we went nowhere because we believe we're sovereign, don't we? I believe I'm sovereign over my life, but hear this. We are not sovereign over our lives, and that's actually good for us. This also means we should be careful when we attribute things to God. When we say these are about God's plans, unless that's clearly from Scripture. A lot of times as Christians, we tend to kind of give God things that he didn't necessarily do. We don't fully understand or know God's plans. We, we, we can't always say that evil events happen for this reason or that reason, unless it's crystal clear in Scripture that we can see what God is doing. God is not to be blamed for evil and sin, or we should not imply that God delights in such evil. It's not the case. In the Bible, human beings and sinful angels or, or demons are always blamed for evil, for sinful actions, and God is never blamed. Man is evil, not God. Even the death of Christ, which the Bible clearly states happened according to God's definite plan, was carried out by the hands of lawless men. 
Acts 2, 23. This is where the omniscient, all-knowing mind, the all-powerful God, omnipotent, and the sovereign God, we can't understand. We can't understand how a sovereign God can, can uh, make these plans and carry them out. Go ahead, Ty. God is big. God is big. God is big. It's good. <laughs> Hear this. God's sovereignty should make us feel very humble. Should make us, because we simply do not understand all of God's plans. Imagine disciples on that Saturday, right? They couldn't understand all of God's plans, right? This is why the, the, the habit of us just being quiet sometimes is a really good habit for us as Christians. Because God is sovereign and I am not. But God is also holy. God, this is why we can trust a sovereign God. He's also a holy God. And we're going to see he's a good God and a loving God and a trustful God. Psalm 999. 999. The Lord our God is holy. This means he is separate from sin. He is separate from sin. Even the seraphim in Isaiah 6.3 says this. He keeps crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God's holiness gives us a pattern and a way of life to imitate. Leviticus 19.2 says, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we strive for holiness. As we trust in him, we receive the Spirit of God that then leads us and strives us towards all holiness. And then sometimes God disciplines his children so that we will be holy like him, right? Just in the same way we lovingly correct, always lovingly, never angry, always loving with our kids, always calm and patient. That's just me, I guess. Y'all probably get mad and are sinful, but not me. But we must we discipline our kids because we love them. And, and as we're being made holy as individuals, individually, but also as members of the church, we become this holy picture to a dark world. And, and this is where many ways the church in the West has failed. We dabble in the things of the world. We dabble in the ways of the world. This is in all kinds of ways. And what happens is we have an unholy church, an unloving church, an unset-apart church, right? The bride of Christ has been tainted in many ways. But we hope and we look and we anticipate the day when all things in heaven and earth will be separate from evil, purified from sin, and devoted solely to seeking God's honor with true moral purity. 
There is one day when all things will be made holy like our God. And you get those brief glimpses in our life, in our world, of these kind of holy moments, even in your own life. And there's this hope that one day we'll be fully glorified and fully made holy. So God is holy. God is also just. Deuteronomy 32.4, all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. This is also God being righteous. God always acts in accordance with what is right. Trace, I'll pick on you again this morning. You're, you shouldn't come in here today. You should have taught your class. Um, uh, Trace is big on things being fair, on things being just. I'm kind of a rules breaker, so I don't always care about that. But our God is always, his judgments are always correct. I like this here. He is the final standard of what is right. He is the one. So we seek justice to do what is right. We must do that in line with God's holy character, which is the ultimate standard of righteousness. Because God is just, he must treat people as they deserve. This means he must and he will punish sin. Hearing that, and looking at my own life, that doesn't always line up, does it? Because sometimes God forgives people, and he does not punish them for their sin. That's how it seems, at least. How is this? God is able to forgive people because Christ died and did take on that punishment. Because God is always just, even with time and sent the cross. God was loving and just in that moment. In this way, Jesus demonstrated God's righteousness. God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because God is all-powerful, eventually all things will be made right. And his power, and his sovereignty, and his justice He will make things right. We see injustice after injustice after injustice in this world. And the reason we're offended by that injustice is because we're made in the image of a just God. And many times we take shortcuts towards justice and do not allow God to take justice himself. Since we have benefited from his righteousness, we are now to join him in doing what is right. We should always seek to do what is right and to bring about justice on behalf of those who are not experiencing it. Where we see unjust things in the world, where there are people who don't know the gospel because of where they live, we go and we bring the gospel. We bring justice. Where we see people that are hungry and in need of care, we go and we feed those people. Where there's orphans, where there's an injustice there of an orphan, we go and we bring justice as best we can. Proverbs 21.3 says this, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Let me keep going. God is jealous. Exodus 25, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. In his jealousy, God continually seeks to protect his own honor. He desires that worship is only given to himself and nothing else. And that's because he is the only one worthy of worship. 
and because he created us as worshipers. And he knows for our good and the good of others, only worship to him is sufficient. So he's a jealous God. It is an honor that only God deserves. It's an honor that only God deserves. It's almost like my kids giving honor to each other, but disrespecting me. That makes no sense. You give me honor. I paid for all this stuff. And so God is jealous. Next, God is good. This is where we combine his omniscience and his sovereignty and his all power. And we can trust all those things because God is good. Amen? Luke 18, 19. No one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. We're shadows of his goodness. God is the final standard and the first standard of good. There is no higher standard than God's goodness. Uh, for example, his goodness, his approval of goodness is seen all throughout creation. It says in Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Because he is the standard of goodness, he's also the source of goodness. We go nowhere else to find goodness and receive goodness. Psalms 84, God is the one who bestows good gifts on his children and promises to not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. doesn't mean an, a, a perfectly comfortable life, but it does mean a good life through faith and trust in him. But even his disciples are a manifestation of his goodness. Like, do you understand the, the, the peace you feel from his spirit is an example of his goodness? The ability to see this morning that sky, the ability to comprehend the sky, the actual sky that he created are all pictures of his goodness. And many times we see God's goodness through his mercy and through his grace. His mercy is his goodness towards those in misery and distress. Do you ever walk in distress? And God's goodness, his mercy, is pursuing you. His grace is his goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. Let me say that again. His grace is his goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. Which is every person in this room, right? recipients of God's goodness often received through his mercy and his grace are then called to demonstrate good to others. This is why it is so laughable for Christians to not be the most merciful and graceful people in the world. Mercy and grace is what we do because it's the only reason that we are here. And the, the enemy fools us into thinking that we brought something to the table. I brought my goodness my morality, my intellect to the table, we bring nothing to the table. But in God's mercy and grace, he brings us back into a relationship because God is good. And, and last, God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. We see his mercy, his grace, his patience, his goodness kind of all wrapped up in this idea and this phrase that God is love. God eternally gives of himself for the good of other, others. Jesus tells us this self-giving attribute, God's love, was active before the foundation of the world. 
This is why we use that poker quote at the beginning. Because we need to think about this idea that God's love was at work before the creation of the world. That, that leads me to deep worship of him, deep trust in him, deep hope for him. It, it was evident in the love that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all had for each other. John 17, John 14, God all those are great. Because God has loved us, and he will love us for eternity as his people, we were able to freely give that love to others. We love because he first loved us. In fact, Jesus summed up our responsibility when he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And like God's love, our love is to be self-giving, not demonstrated just in words, but also in deeds and in truth. I'm going to wrap up with this. The character, uh, the attributes of God, when they are rightly uh, meditated on and trusted in, should always lead to love and worship of God and love of others. The reason we've talked through this idea of God being love, of God being jealous, that God is good, God is just, God is holy, God is sovereign, is to lead to us to worship God and to love others. Not to puff ourselves up because we know this new fact about God, it's to know who God is, to know the person so that we can worship him rightly and love others freely. I told this story last week about uh, my wife, Tracy. This is just so hard for her today. Is that be nice? Tracy, just come stand right here. Um, uh, she, uh, just forgive me, love. Um, it is, it is, it is where I, I married Tracy 10 years ago um, and when I married her of course I loved her um, yes I did um, I, I knew her I loved her but over the past 10 years I have grown to learn her more and know her more understand her more and, and see how, how Tracy is so patient to see how Tracy is such a servant to see how funny Tracy is and over those two years, because I know her more, I love her more, and I trust her in a deeper way. Does that make sense? The same is true of our relationship with God. That we are attempting to pursue, disciple really means to be a learner. As we learn who God is more, it should lead to deeper worship, deeper trust, and then love for other people. So that's the heart behind this whole thing. It's not just to know more about God, but to let these things, things about God, renew our minds and transform our lives. So that is the hope for what we're doing today. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to our tables for discussion. You have questions up here at your, at your table, at your thing. Have some people move around so we're not just sitting by ourselves. Let me pray for us. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for uh, today. Thank you for, um, thank you for who you are. Thank you for who you are. Let us set our minds on that truth this morning and nothing else. We love you, Jesus. Please bless our discussions now. Pray all this in your name. Amen.